Do you feel something crawling on you? I woke up at the sound of a woman's voice asking me the question. The voice was familiar, but only a little. Had I just met her? Where were we at? I was on the bed, wasn't I? Had we... Fucked everything up when the railroad closed down the line through Tolson. I don't know if that was true or not. Other than big shipments that were too heavy for planes or trucks, did anyone use trains anymore? Either way, it was five years to the day that they ran the last train down the track and the killings started and no one could leave town anymore. They called it the Death Train, which made no sense for a number of reasons. First of all, it wasn't a train. It was Harvey Stark in his old conductor's outfit riding on Jeff Humboldt like he was a prize bull. Stark was a little guy, sure, and Jeff was built like a brick shithouse, so he could tote Stark around on his shoulders with no problem. If that was all it was, people would have snickered and went about their day. But Jeff had on one of those strap-on headlamps, and Stark had that whistle he would start blowing when he felt the need to warn someone that the train was coming. Except instead of a train... It was a 400-pound naked man, shaved clean and slick with sweat, a machete in each hand, and a hard erection in between making goddamn train noises while the little fucker on his back tooted that horn and spurred him on like a prize stallion. You'd think people would see it coming and run away too, but no. The first three or four just stood there, staring in confusion as the pair master-blastered their way toward them and started hacking them to bits. By that point, the police had tried to stop them, but nothing put them down or even seemed to hurt them for long. The cops had fired until the train turned its glowing eye on them, and then even the ones that tried to run got run down. The next day, we found 40 or so bloody and deformed bullets on the street. Like the old death train had just shit them back out. Maybe it had. But none of this made sense, did it? I didn't live in this place, and yeah, I knew and remembered all this stuff, but what kind of nonsense was it? And had it really happened to me, or was it all just a dream I needed to... Wake up, man! I'm trying to give you a chance here. I gasped as a small hand slapped me across the face. What? Jesus, what's going on? A small lamp turned on next to me, and I saw a girl sitting on the edge of the bed. Her eyes narrowed as she stared at me. I remembered her. She was cute. I'd met her at the bar and... Snap out of it, okay? You awake? You with me? I felt myself wanting to go back to sleep, but I fought the urge. She might slap me again. I'm awake. You hit me. Rolling her eyes, she let out a sigh. Do you feel something crawling on you? My eyes widened as I realized I did. Panicking, I began frantically brushing off my chest. What is it? Get it off me. I, I don't see anything. She nodded. Oh, it's there. We just can't see it or touch it this early, but you've got bigger issues. What you were just in? It's called a Hatter's Dream. It's not a normal dream, and if you let yourself, you can get trapped in there. Lose your mind there. I stared at her. What? How? Why? 
She started to speak, then lowered her gaze before she went on. The short version is that I roofied you. We didn't have sex or anything, I just drew on you. She gestured to a spot on my arm. There was a small black circle connected to a black rectangle that flared out at the bottom. What? You drew... What is that? The woman gave a little laugh as she held up her hand to show a similar, more refined tattoo on the back. It's, uh... It's a keyhole. I'm just not much of an artist. Just made it with a marker and well, a bit of blood and spit mixed in. I pushed away from her as I sat up more in the bed. What the fuck? What are you sick with? Her expression was unreadable as she met my eyes. Me? Nothing now. I mean, thanks to you. It's not like a normal disease. It moves around, but it doesn't leave anything behind. You give it with a keyhole and uh, the spit and blood thing. I started shaking my head. You're fucking crazy. She laughed again. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Not anymore. It stopped crawling on me as soon as I put myself into the drawing, but my father was crazy. He was crazy for nearly two years before I would listen to him. I saw she was crying now. He told me these stories about a madness he'd found. Not a problem with the brain or the mind, but a living thing that hunted and crawled from person to person until they were drained dry. When I finally got desperate enough to have him back, I started to pay attention. And it didn't take long before I believed. He wanted me to help him escape the hospital so he could find someone to give it to, but I knew that would never work. And I could see his grip was slipping. She wiped at her eyes. So I finally convinced him to teach me what needed to be done and give it to me, just for a little while. He made me promise to find someone cruel and evil that deserved it, but how do I know? I couldn't stand feeling it on me, knowing that it was burrowing into my brain. I shuddered. She was right. I could feel it still, like a faint breeze that wasn't there, not just on my chest, but in the dark behind my eyes, rustling around, feeling for cracks and wounds to exploit. Jesus. Stop. She grabbed my hand. No. You need to understand. I need you to understand so you have a chance. I didn't do this to fuck you up or ruin your life. It's not personal. I did it to save me and my dad. And you can do the same thing that I did. And maybe you can find someone that actually deserves it. Just stay awake. Get tons of caffeine or pills or whatever. I grabbed her arm back, my teeth clenched. Why don't I just put it back in you? She shook her head as she waved her other hand again. It won't work. Dad says it won't take the same keyhole twice. Standing up, she pulled away and stepped to the other side of the room. Still, I figured you'd be pissed. That's why I'm going to leave before the roofie is gone enough for you to chase me. I tried to move my legs, and she was right. They were there, and I could feel them, but everything still felt loose and liquid below my waist. You 
nodded. Yeah, I guess I am. I'm sorry. Good luck. And then she was gone. It was another 30 minutes before I could get up and walk to the door. We'd been in a cheap motel room not far from a bar I remembered going to, but this late all the buses were gone and taxis were few and far between. I wound up sitting on a bench for nearly an hour waiting for a rideshare to come, dropping in and out of strange dreams the entire time. I debated calling the police, but I wasn't sure what to tell them, and it was embarrassing. Drugged by some cute but insane woman that drew on me and made up some bizarre story. I decided to just get home, get some sleep, and decide what to do the next morning. Except I didn't wake up the next morning. Instead, it was three days later. I was lying in bed, covered in dried shit and piss, and I was so dehydrated that I had to crawl to the bathroom to drink out of the toilet because I couldn't reach the sink. I remembered where I'd been. It wasn't just one place. Some of the time it was back in the town that was being terrorized by the death train. Other times I was underground somewhere, crawling through a tunnel littered with wrappers and bits of candy. I spent several hours in a building with fleshy walls that bled when you touched them and groaned with every step you took. Something lived in those walls, and it was after me, so I had to keep moving despite the stink and the noise and the blood. On and on through one terrible thing and then another, and the entire time, my unseen invader was crawling all over me, probing me and lightly biting as though testing the flavor of its newfound meat. I say all this because I want you to understand that I believe you now. And I want you to know that, like you said, it's not personal. It's not going to work. I already told you. I laughed a little, turning on the headlamp so I can see better in the darkened room I finally found her holed up in after weeks of tracking her down. I disagree. I've given it a lot of thought. I can still give it to you. I just need to get rid of your little keyhole. She was crying now. She tried to pull free from the restraints. It's a tattoo. He made me get a tattoo so I couldn't get it back after I got rid of it. I grinned at her, stinging sweat streaming into my eyes, but that was okay. The pain made everything sharper, just like the machete. I made it extra sharp for a clean cut. I pulled the blade out from my rucksack and she began to struggle harder. Then he should have told you to put it somewhere less expendable. No, no, no. I could hardly hear her screaming as a piercing whistle filled my ears. Raising the blade in both hands, I took a small practice chop before lining up the final cut. It would all be over soon enough, and would I miss it? I'd be lying if I said I wasn't of two minds about it. Tightening my grip on the sweat-slicked handle, I let out a bellow as I brought it down. It wasn't as terrible and musical as the high-pitched thrilling in my ears, but it still felt right. Choo, choo, choo. 
My friends and I decided to play tag in a cornfield, and the resident scarecrow wasn't happy with our intrusion. I had an ominous feeling as I gazed down to the cornfield which was barely lit up by the moonlight. I had an unnerving premonition that something deadly awaited us inside. I was about to turn around and go home when I felt a hand grasp mine. <laughs> Couldn't help but smile as I gazed down into the beautiful eyes of my new girlfriend, Hannah. We had only been dating less than a month, and I could already tell I wanted to spend the rest of my life with her. She started walking toward the cornfield, and I knew I would look like a coward if I didn't find her. We just passed the first row of stalks when my best friend Tony ran up and tapped hand on the arm and yelled, Tag! before running off. A mischievous smile crossed her face as she immediately tagged me and said no tagbacks before doing a little curtsy and hopping away. I could hear my friends laughing in the distance as I began jogging forward to find one of them. I stopped dead in my tracks as I walked into a clearing to find a scarecrow hanging there. A shiver ran down my spine as I gazed up at him, and there was something unsettling about him. I heard a noise behind me and turned around to see what it was, but didn't spot anyone. I was about to leave the clearing when I noticed the scarecrow had turned his head and was now facing me. I walked forward on feet made of lead and tapped his body, and was relieved to discover that it was full of straw. I was almost bowled over as someone came sprinting out of the stalks and ran directly into me. I didn't even think about it, and immediately tagged my mate Barry and saw the disappointment in his face as I jogged off. I'd only got a few feet when I heard a blood-curdling scream behind me as I stood there frozen in terror. It took me a few minutes to gain the courage to walk back into the clearing. Barry was nowhere in sight, and the scarecrow was still hanging in place. I was about to walk off when I heard a dripping noise, and I cautiously approached the scarecrow. I had to place my hand over my mouth to stifle my scream as I discovered Barry's hanging corpse in place of the scarecrow. His eyeballs had been plucked out of his skull and replaced with straw. Blood was pouring from his body from dozens of wounds and slowly dripping onto the floor. I began backing away until I collided with something soft. I turned around and was now face to face with the scarecrow. He kept turning his head as if studying me. I could see straw poking out from numerous places in his clothing. Tony ran into the clearing and ran face first into the scarecrow's back. He let out a grunt of annoyance and was about to run off when the scarecrow's arm shot out and gripped him by the throat. Tony was lifted off his feet and I could see the panic in his eyes as he tried to free himself. He opened his mouth to scream and I watched in terror as a straw shot out from the scarecrow's body and into Tony's mouth. It was like a never-ending stream as it kept going until Tony's futile struggles finally stopped. Tony's body was unceremoniously dropped to the ground as the scarecrow turned his attention to me. I darted to one side and barely evaded his grip as I disappeared amongst the rows of corn. I kept glancing to all sides in hopes of finding the edge of the cornfield, but all I kept finding was more corn. 
I kept spotting the scarecrow in the distance as he seemed to be hunting me. I tipped over something and let out a sob as I pushed myself up to find the bodies of my two friends. Their heads had been ripped open and the corn had been forced down their throats. I let out an almost manic laugh as they reminded me of pest dispensers. I urged myself to keep going with one target to finding Hannah and getting us both out of there. I considered calling out her name but knew that would probably draw unwanted attention. I was about to give up hope finding her when I found her sobbing on the floor clutching the body of her best friend. Their arms had been ripped from their body and lay on the ground a few feet away. I helped her to her feet and had to practically drag her along as she was almost comatose. I almost let out a howl of joy as I spotted the edge of the cornfield directly ahead. I just reached the last row when I lost my grip on Hannah. I spun around and was almost face to face with the scarecrow. He was holding on to Hannah like a vice grip. I wanted him to reach for me, but he stood motionless. I looked down to discover that I was outside the cornfield and realized he couldn't leave it. He began stroking Hannah's hair and I could tell he was trying to taunt me. Hannah seemed to finally wake from whatever her mind had gone and began shrieking at the top of her lungs. The scarecrow flinched away for a second before placing his hands on either side of her skull. My eyes widened as I saw straw forcing its way into her ears. She went deathly silent as I watched the straw moving around inside her eyeballs. A single tear ran down my cheek as the scarecrow pulled her mouth open and a stalk of corn began growing inside. I turned and fled knowing that there was nothing left for me here. I returned the next day and stood immobile, gazing at all the scarecrows scattered across the field. I began pouring the petrol at the edges of the field whilst being careful not to step inside. I was about to light the match when each and every scarecrow turned to face me. I threw the match onto the petrol and hoped that this would avenge my friends. Main Character Syndrome It's said that we each think of ourselves as the protagonist of our own stories. Take that too far and you get narcissistic people who annoy everyone around him. But there is another layer to it. In the end, we all experience the world through our own eyes. And what we see is always limited. Don't you get what I mean? Imagine for a second that you were living in a simulation... Now, you may think that it's nearly impossible for a computer to possibly synthesize everything in the world going on around you. Imagine walking into a bookstore. Have you ever actually read every single book in there? No, leave that. Have you ever opened each book? How do you know that each book is real? That each book actually has words in it without you opening each one? They could very well be placeholders, just there to make the world look more real. Extrapolate that to the world. Sure, there are ways of knowing about everything around you, but how much do you actually experience? In the end, of course, it's only what we experience that shapes what we think of reality. We can never go inside someone else's head. This would all just be a thought experiment. 
or at least it would be normally. Two weeks ago, I moved into a new town. I didn't really relish the idea as it was a rather small town, a far cry from the city I'd grown up in, but I had to come here as part of a job, and my student loans weren't going to pay themselves. I sighed and gripped myself for the next six months of utter boredom. That's what I thought would happen. I settled in well enough, only for my doorbell to ring the very afternoon after I arrived. I hadn't been expecting that. I hadn't even unpacked half the boxes yet. It was my neighbor. At least that was how they introduced themselves. It was Gary, his wife, and his twin daughters. They were nice enough, though overall, given that I was eager to go to work, they were more of a distraction than anything. The visitors didn't stop there, though. The mailman, the other neighbors from down the street, the owner of the local grocery store, the garbage man, all of them felt the need to ring my doorbell just to say hello to me. I wouldn't have minded, but the thing was that the conversations dragged on far longer than they ever should have. And now that I truly think about it, there was something really off about each of those conversations. I know the Uncanny Valley effect is regarding faces, but this was like that except for speech. What was being said was normal, but there was an oddness to it that I couldn't really put my finger on. As if I was thinking, wait a moment, real people don't talk like this. I chalked up all this attention to small town values and went to sleep even though I barely got any unpacking done at all. I did notice something odd outside the window that looked over my backyard. I saw the silhouette of a lady with her dog on the road. This wouldn't be abnormal on its own, but for three nights in a row, I always saw her at seemingly the same place. The next morning I got up and my day was instantly ruined when I saw that all the tires on my car had been slashed. So much for small town hospitality. I was almost beginning to swear when I heard a warm voice say, In trouble there, neighbor? It was Gary. From the way he approached me, it was like he'd been waiting all this time behind the corner just to pop up when I would notice the slashed tires. Uh, yeah. Someone did this, I said. Oof, looks like we got ourselves a troublemaker on the loose here, Gary said. We should let the sheriff know. Oh, there he is. In what couldn't possibly be a coincidence, the sheriff strolled right up to us as if he'd been just strolling around the neighborhood. Good morning there. And, oh, is this our new residence? He introduced himself and assured me that he'd look into the matter, and as with all the other conversations I had till now, it lasted three times longer than necessary. I was really beginning to become impatient. At the time, I just chalked it up to folks from a small town being different, though now that I look back on things, they were definitely dragging out those conversations as much as possible. Gary offered me a ride to work, which I accepted, given I had no real other options. He talked about his own life, occasionally asking me questions about mine. In case you were wondering on what it was that I did there, 
I was a reporter working on a story. I was looking into a story regarding a factory near the town, and so Gary was nice enough to drop me off at the town library, which also housed its records. It was fairly old. Didn't even have a digital system in place, and they still used those old cards you'd write on if you wanted to take a book out. You would think that at the very least, in a library, I'd get some peace and quiet, but no. The librarian and her two assistants walked up to speak to me. They shooed away the other patrons, who also seemed to be wanting to introduce themselves, and began explaining how the library worked. Again, the conversation lasted way too long for my liking. I tried to focus on my work, but I really couldn't. I noticed it ever so slightly. People were waiting for me around every corner. Their faces were in books that they clearly weren't reading as they were on the same page for two hours. I didn't make much headway as I made to leave. Unsure of how I would even get back home, when the second I stepped out of the library, I ran into Gary. Hey there. Were you waiting for me all this time? <laughs> Shucks. No, of course not. I was just in the area and remembered you didn't have a ride home. Realized the library closes around this time, so I thought I'd give you a lift. Thank you, I said, very creeped out. On the drive back, Gary told me there was going to be a large party over at his house tomorrow afternoon. I said I had to work, but Gary told me the library was closed on weekends. I found that to be very odd, but I had no real way of confirming that it was wrong, so I shrugged and said that I'd be there. That night, again, I saw the lady with her dog across the street, in the same spot. I didn't think too much of it then. The next day, there was the party, and to my surprise, it looked like half the town had showed up. I was immediately ushered in and asked to sit down in the center of the living room. It was as if I was the birthday boy at a kid's party. Everyone wanted to speak with me. It was nice for a while, but became quite overwhelming thereafter. That night, I again saw the lady with her dog across the street. I could swear she was in the same spot as well. I went ahead and opened the door, going for an evening stroll. I walked down the road and saw a woman in her mid-forties walking a golden retriever. She was no longer standing still, but was walking up to me, eager to introduce herself. She walked the same route every day, she told me, and was really excited to see the new face who was the buzz all around town. Next day, I tried to get some new tires, but every shop in town was out of it, and by every shop, I mean the two that were there. Despite how friendly everyone was, none of them had spare set of tires, something I found very hard to believe. They did manage to find a bicycle I could borrow, and it was good enough to go to the grocery store and back. It took me over an hour to get to the library for my job, though. Gary kept offering to drive me there, but I always refused. I did actually get some work done, and it went on like that for a week longer when my bike was stolen one day. The sheriff was right around the corner as last time, and Gary was willing to offer a ride as ever. Now I couldn't even get someone to lend me their bicycle anymore. That night, I saw her again. That same lady standing across the street in the same spot. I went for a walk and she ran into me as if she'd been expecting me. 
I had no idea what was happening around this place. I felt nauseous and didn't come out of the house for two days, just whiling away time on my laptop. I'd made my decision then. Screw this job. I was getting out of here. I called my boss and told him I was leaving. And given I somehow still didn't have new tires, I just called for a taxi company. I'd get my car some other way. I didn't want to live here a moment longer. The night before my planned escape, I woke up, startled by a noise downstairs. I went to see that it was... Gary. He wasn't carrying a weapon of any sort, and didn't look threatening in any way, but he was in my house at two in the morning. How... how did you get in? I asked him. Oh, I picked the lock. Locksmith helped, he said. I grabbed a nearby umbrella, hardly an adequate weapon, but the closest thing near me. Don't get any closer. I don't want to bother you, Gary said, seemingly non-pulsed by how weird this whole situation was. I just wanted to let you know... You can't leave. I confirmed my suspicions when I heard a voice from outside. Gary, how long are you going to hog everything for yourself? We want our turn. What happened to sharing is caring. I looked outside the window and saw the townsfolk had surrounded my house. What is going on? I demanded. It's hard to explain, Gary said. Let me start at the beginning. The factory you were looking into wasn't a factory at all. It was a research facility for the military. We don't know why... But they made us. They made us like this. Eternally trapped in this town. They abandoned us. We don't know why. Just said it seems they wanted to curse us. I know no other reason as to why they should torment us so. His face twisted into a snarl. We're background characters. We have little will of our own. It's only when someone like you comes from the outside that we find our purpose. That this town of ours has life breathed into it. Do you know what my days were like before you came along? I would just stand in an empty house with my family for hours on end, just staring at a blank wall, unable to eat or drink or sleep, unable to feel, unable to express myself. I can't even talk to members of my family unless you come around. I think you have a term for us, Gary said. NPCs, side characters. That's what we are. We can't do anything unless you come around, and I loved it so much when you were here. For the first time in years, I felt alive. Do you know something? My house is actually empty. No furniture, nothing at all. Everything that you saw there on the day of the party, it materialized when you came in. I could go back home to an empty house, but I won't anymore. He began to move. Come with me. I ran upstairs and locked my bedroom door, barricading myself in as well as I could. I looked out my window and saw throngs of people there. I could hear them at my door. Any minute now, they'll get in. I have family outside here, guys. I do not want to spend my life being a prisoner of whatever things live in this town. My hand is shaking in terror as I type this out on my phone. I 
I don't know what I can do in this situation. I, I think I can smell smoke. They're definitely starting a fire, knowing I'll have to jump out the window. I don't know if they'll fight over me or try to tear me apart so each of them gets a piece, but they're not going to leave me alone. They may all be prisoners here, but it looks like I'll end up being another inmate along with them.